the Open University still exists. It's the largest university in the world. It started in 65. They would teach anybody their classes. They could come there, but they weren't there. They had their classes by radio, by television, by correspondence. And that's the way people got their real, excellent, certified courses. How, how, how have I not heard of this? Like, it still exists, you're saying? It, absolutely. Look at, you know, check it out. Look it up. You're listening to SpartyCast. Hello and welcome to SpartyCast. This week we have another historically oriented episode, by which I mean to say a guest who uh, is in the latter stages of an illustrious career, uh, Steve Yellen, my teaching mentor here at Michigan State University. PhD in education and psychology, who has been teaching people how to teach since the 1960s. That's like 60 years. He knows, he's seen so much of distance education happen, but he talks about distance, distance education all the way back to the 1920s. Um, he also talks about his work with Sesame Street and the Secret Service, the early distance learning technologies that he used, like overheads, audio tapes, going to the library and putting things into machines and synchronizing them in this very analog sort of way. Um, but more importantly, he talks about how pedagogy is essential regardless of the media technology, right? Like bad teaching is bad teaching regardless of how you're doing it in VR, on YouTube, TikTok, wherever. Um, and finally, he shares 10 principles of teaching that are essential for any instructor. So I hope you enjoyed the episode and listen all the way through. It's a bit of a long one, um, but really he's full of so much wisdom and such a nice guy. And you got to love his accent too. So from the east coast i grew up in new jersey so i appreciate i appreciate hints of the northeast um but more importantly i appreciate steve for being on the podcast and i hope you enjoy it as well hello steve thank you for being on this uh, podcast my pleasure my pleasure <laughs> so i was just saying um you and i have had many enlightening exciting conversations for me through the years you've been a mentor to me in uh in university level instruction as well as thinking about research in the classroom um but we might as well share one of these fun conversations with the world right you betcha so yep. um so steve why don't you tell us your expertise first okay um I was trained, um, I got a PhD in education and psychology, it was called joint program. So I'm a learning psychologist. I use what I know about learning to help uh, people teach. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. So over the years, I have worked uh, as an educational psychologist. I've taught classes at MSU, mostly master's uh, level, senior level, doctoral level classes. I have worked with um, the Office of Medical Education, Research and Development, helping professors in medicine learn to teach better. I've worked with the Learning and Evaluation Service as assistant director. And there I was helping faculty members all over campus to help to improve their instruction. Uh, and I've done a lot of training of teaching assistants. I've done three sabbaticals, um, four actually, but three, one, 
was with Sesame Street, which was great fun. Uh, one was with a place called Southwest Regional Laboratory for uh, Educational Research and Development. Uh, third was with the United States Secret Service. And the fourth one, I just stayed home and I wrote a book. Okay. So that's some of the stuff that I've done. And, um, and then after uh, retiring to some extent, you stayed emeritus and faculty like me would join the, the university fresh out of my own PhD and tasked with teaching students in their PhDs who were just a few years behind me. And so, um, so I said, ah, I need help. Help me figure out how to do this. And someone sent me to you. I don't even remember who sent me to you. And I don't care. <laughs> I'm just glad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I even after I retired, uh, the provost hired me official officially at first, and then I just do it because I want to officially to help professors, young professors especially, to help get started in their teaching and to improve their teaching as they went. Uh, it was great fun, great fun doing this. And, uh, I, I and very helpful too. So helpful to me. Yeah. I retired three times. I, reti I retired once from ed psych. I retired once from uh, medical education. And I retired once from uh, psychology and some other places. So uh, I, I've been keeping very busy retiring. So. Ah, retiring does take a lot of work, huh? Indeed, yes. You're like a phoenix. Yeah, well, that's, that, you know, that's a very good analogy. That's a very good analogy to what it could be. And it doesn't always have to be academic. You know, you, you rise a new bird, you know, doing new things. So what do you want to talk about today? So, well, I wanted to, so you've, you've heard of virtual reality, these yes, headset indeed. things. Yes, yes. Steve, have you, have you heard of the metaverse? Yes, I believe uh, Spider-Man in the metaverse. Um, <laughs> no, not not exactly that. Um, that that is that is uh, in fiction, sure. But um, the meta. Did you hear that Facebook changed its name to Meta? Yes, yes, and because they want people to interact with each other in uh, um, uh, an invented meta reality. Is that the that metaverse? Exactly through through things like this uh, head-mounted display, uh, right, right. virtual reality rig. Um, they yeah they want to support that kind. Of, it's like the new internet. Like the the first yeah. internet was just information. Then the web gave us like all these social media platforms, and now the the next web is kind of virtual worlds interconnected, so we can go to work together, have Zoom meetings, except in avatars yes. and VR, or go to class together. Right oh, right oh. Yeah, that reminds me of when I started here. Uh, I started here in 1966. Uh, the media then was uh, chalkboard, um, videotape, audio tape, uh, radio, uh, paper, you know, paper materials, textbooks, handouts, and so on. Uh, what else was there? Uh, there, were, there, were, there were a few other kinds of things that made up. You, you said 1966? 1966, okay. which, is, which is a very significant time in the world of media and communication, like, it, like what's happening today. Um, 65, the Open University uh, started. You know what that was and is? No, tell us. This is why you're here, Steve. Like I wanted historical context on okay. um, understanding all of this. So go ahead. Sure. The Open University still exists. It is the largest 
a university, period. It's the largest university in the world. It is open. It started in 65. They would teach anybody their classes. It was an open university, so like a MOOC, you know, they could come there, but they weren't there. They had their classes by radio, by television, by correspondence. And that's the way people got their real excellent certified courses. They even had packages of materials. So if you were in a science class, you got mailed this relatively inexpensive, but very, very good microscope. Mm -hmm. You got mailed samples. You did lots of work, uh, just like you would in a lab if you were on campus someplace. Wait, how, 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 have, how have I not heard of this? Like it still exists, you're saying? It, absolutely, look at, you know, check it out, look it up. Um, yeah, it's, it's on Wikipedia and stuff like this, and it'll give you a real good lowdown on it. It was the impetus for a lot of the things that happened at MSU a little later. Oh, it's other, British. That's, yeah, British Open University. Okay, got it, go on. Yeah, and that was 65. I came here in 66. Yeah. So that was beginning to have an influence. Also, my first, uh, my first sabbatical was in 1969 with Sesame Street. Mm -hmm. So I was there helping them to do a better job of the formative evaluation. Formative evaluation is where you, you evaluate something in order to improve it, not just to make a judgment on it. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a book about uh, formative evaluation and I helped uh, the people there uh, think about the process a little bit better. And they, I mean, and, and think about Sesame Street. That is probably one of the largest MOOCs ever but for little kitties yeah uh, oh my gosh i didn't think about it that way but of course well that's right uh maybe how many how many episodes or how many seasons i don't know uh, i i i bet you know thousands of episodes and kids the more and uh, by the way there's over a thousand pieces of research on it that show that the more they watch kids will learn the more the kids will watch the more they learn it's amazing better prepared for school uh, when they when they get there, so anyway, that that's what it was like when I came. So so this was, and would you say that this was the first distance learning, or was there anything I don't know through radio in the fifties? No, 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 no. There there were correspondence courses. I mean, okay. they they even they even had them as funny funny gimmicks in nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties in movies. You know, the early movies would often have. Uh, a guy put on a record, you know, a record, remember a record? Yeah. <laughs> put, on, put on a record and they'd have a manual. They'd listen to the record and do what it said. Yeah, uh, Dale Carnegie, his course was a mail order course, how to win friends and influence people. Uh, there were just tons of correspondence courses, which I, is still viable. Yeah, I, I've heard that, how to win friends and influence people. So that's a reference to the 20s? No, I think uh, maybe, maybe, I, you know, I don't know the exact age, so I better not say. Sure, sure, sure. But, but it's, early, it's early. So even in the, even in the earliest days of, uh, of record players and presumably sure. the radio, um, people were using it for education. That makes sense. Absolutely. Anytime you get a medium to communicate, uh, you can use it, you know, for educational purposes. But, mm -hmm. but, and I, you know, this, this is one thing I guess I want to emphasize because it's, it, over over arches all the rest and that is lousy instruction put on a new medium 
is still lousy instruction. You understand? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, garbage in, garbage out. So if you have some wonderful video, beautifully done and really attractive, but it's a really lousily, lousily, that's a word, uh, sure. a really poorly designed piece of instruction, it's still going to be lousy instruction. I mean, so, so um, how do you differentiate those two things? Kind of like the, the elements of the medium com compared to the elements of the instruction. So you mean like uh, pedagogical design, the, the stuff you helped me think about. Right. Well, some, you know, some of my friends uh, who are into media per se, um, you know, always trying to remind me media matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, you can do certain things better. E even a real well-designed piece of instruction, you could do it better with the proper medium, right? So, I mean, I could tell you, have you a correspondence course in bird recognition, all right? And so I got pictures of the birds there, and um, but but it's but it's on paper, and and they and they give you what the, the sound of the bird is tweet 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 you know or tweet 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 and tweet and then tweet 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 uh, they could give you that in words on paper, but it's um, it, it could be a lot better if you had a video and a real fine audio that shows you the bird and different views of the bird fluttering around, and you hear you hear the actual bird call, that would, that would improve the instruction tremendously. Sure. So it could be, could be well-designed, uh, but still not have the impact because it didn't have the best medium possible. So they interact. They Got interact. it. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So um, in, in media studies, we often come back to this idea that when a new media is invented, a new medium, um, people often want to just put the old type of content in the new medium oh, without yeah. really thinking it through. And, and they, it takes a little while before the designers and developers recognize that new media have specific affordances that are good for certain things that might be different from the previous medium. So for sure. example, like you don't wanna listen to a play on the radio as much as you might want to watch it, but you don't even want to watch people giving a play. It's a totally different format of, uh, of telling a story through the television kind of format. So, yes, yes. And, and um, let me see if this makes sense with what you just said. Mm -hmm. Not all media are helpful to all kinds of lessons. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there are different kinds of things that work best in a particular medium. I watched last night um, a live, the live broadcast of Annie uh, with a new cast and so on. And it was done live and in the round. <sighs> Coming on screen, it was, it was good. It was good. I, I, I will not say I, I didn't like it. It was good. But being there, having it live mm -hmm. in that medium would have been better. If it were recorded, it could have been still pretty good, just the audio. Mm -hmm. The audio and the video are recorded, you know, were, were pretty darn good. But geez, there was, it was just odd being on the, side, uh, on the other side of a screen when it's so much better live. Yeah, yeah. So some, some, some media uh, can be, use some media can be misused mm -hmm. um i i used a lot of um when, when i started i used a lot of overhead transparencies 
mm-hmm. you know, and you, you, you've seen this, and uh, I think most people today still have seen overhead transparencies, and you, you can misuse them. I, I can remember people trying to draw diagrams on there that could have been just so much better with overlays. Here you have the original diagram, and you want to introduce something, you put a a pre-fitted piece right over it, they could see it instead of drawing it. Now, drawing it might work well too if it's a real fine drawing, fit, you know, fit to the purpose. I used that as opposed to what was big in my time, which was slides. And um, you mean literally like the little slides that you put in, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the teacher would have um, a clicker, you know, and uh, they would have a slide projector projecting on the screen behind them. You see this too. You see this right now in TED Talks. Sure. Even though, even though it's by computer. It's purely it's still, digital. Yeah, but it's, it's, still, it's still a slide presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I hated that. I didn't like it. It, it. it was not, it was not, it was too static for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I put on an overhead, uh, yes, they might have been pre-designed, but I could point to it. I could touch it. I could move it around. When I when I finished with a slide, I could with a, a an overhead, I could take it off, yeah. and I, I could be moving and putting it on. I could point to the thing I'm talking about exactly. Um, I could keep part of it hidden and reveal it piece by piece. So it was much better. It was much more dynamic than having a slide. You, 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 ever see, you ever see people doing uh, TED Talks and they've got a slide up there? They really would like to point to something on the slide, but they can't because it's so far away and it's removed from them. So they have to, in words, try and direct you to the spot and it doesn't always work. Yeah, yeah. I guess animations in the slides, um, if done right, could could draw attention to certain areas or, or a laser pointer, but that doesn't work for screen sharing. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I appreciate what you're saying, uh, about having control over the way that you're presenting information and you lose control with some new media. Yeah. Which is the way, if you have a good PowerPoint, a good PowerPoint presentation, you can have control over the animation. Mm-hmm. You, know, you want to say, okay, this is, this is the way it, it looks now. Now, what if you did this? <laughs> You know, and the and the the change comes right in. You could see it. You could see it happening. You could withdraw it. You could take it back. You could put it in. Take it out. It's like the overlay. Exactly, exactly. And that's dynamic, and that you have control over. So, is there some is there some broader lesson um, that we might lose through just you know short term short term memories as a as a field of people who study media technologies, especially in the education context? Um, is there a broader lesson that we've seen as we've shifted between these technologies? You told me you had a distance learning class where you would send out tapes to your students. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Let's see if we can, I'll tell you the specifics, and then we can think about what's, what's the broader lesson. Sure. So I had a class in which I laid out all my notes on paper. They were all beautifully, if I don't say so myself, beautifully organized. Uh, I had the objectives for the students. I had the exercises, I had practice tests, I had everything in there. In fact, a student really could get away without coming to class, but they still came to class because they- You were so entertaining, that's why. Well, exactly right. That's Ah. the truth. Because I told stories, I gave examples, I used cartoons, I did many things 
to add novelty and interest to it. They could do that. Now, I had a lot of students, these were graduate students mainly, who drove in from off campus for a night class. And uh, winter time comes and, or situations come up where they can't come in. They were able to do it sometimes just with the materials. So that was one way I did off-campus teaching or distance teaching, just with that. Now, the audio tapes came in uh, and also videotapes. Uh, sometimes I had an extra unit that I wanted to teach. So I, I gave them all those materials and I recorded my presentation that went with it on audio tape and I sent them an audio tape. It's the flipped classroom in 1972 or whatever. Whatever. I mean, yeah, it was all those years, you know, between then and now. Um, I used, um, I had a, a whole extra unit that I didn't have time to teach. So I had WKAR and the producers, directors there helped me make a series of 10 videos uh, that the students could look at anywhere. In fact, we, we could put them on. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this. Uh, they're videotapes, but they're also uh, films, you know, just real film in a cassette. Uh, and you could go into a carol. This is the way we used to have it set up. Uh, students could sit in a carol and they would get from the librarian either a set of slides and the tape. And the tape was electronically set up so that after a certain portion of the tape, a beep went off and a different slide advanced. Ah, yeah. It was, it was put in a carol. So you'd be sitting there looking at a screen. Uh, just above you, there was a slide projector. You got the slides, you put them in the, in the projector. You had an uh, audio tape player. Uh, you put that in, the tapes would play, the beep would happen, the slide would advance. Or there would be a film and it'd be, it, it would be, a uh, this was 16 millimeter or eight millimeter film you'd have in a, uh, a plastic container that you'd plug into a projector and it would, just like the slides, they would hit a mirror and then project to you. So you'd see it on a screen in front of you. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so you, and you needed to go to the library for this because the equipment was just too complicated. Sometimes, yes. Uh, sometimes it was as simple as just having the tape. Everybody had tape players. Sure. So you could, you could send them a tape. If worse okay. come, came to worse, they could go to a, a local library. Hello, listener. It's me, but I'm an avatar. You probably learn about avatars in this podcast, but you can actually try them out, not just in video games, but in spaces like Zoom. I'm using Zoom to record this right now. This avatar I created with Ready Player Me. Remember in episode a long time ago, I talked to Timo Toke, the CEO of Wolf 3D. That's the company that makes Ready Player Me. I took a screenshot of myself with my camera, a selfie, I should say, and I created an avatar automatically, customized it in their app. Then I posted it in Animes. That's the software I'm using right now. They are the sponsor of this message and they are giving a 50% discount on subscriptions. You can try it for free, but if you want to subscribe, you enter Sparty Lab as the discount code. That's S-P-A-R-T-I-E that's -E, Lab. So you can use a Ready Player Me avatar, like I mentioned. You can also upload your own VRM or Live 2D models, 
or you can make avatars right in animes. For example, you could use the Doge avatar. <laughs> um, and I don't know, I mean, it might have seemed like like a, a strange thing at first, but but Dogecoin is, is still making bucks. Um, but you could use the Doge avatar or one of their very cool anthropomorphic animals, such as the Fluffo, the raccoon. Totally detailed, look at this, it's so responsive. People use these types of avatars to stream or go to Zoom meetings or go to, go to court cases and say, I am not a cat. There are also two-dimensional avatars like this raccoon or more anthropomorphic avatars that aren't even animals like this cute pandemic virus right here. Corey, Corey the COVID. Maybe this one won't win you too many friends. I really like Kathy. She's quite a catch. You could choose whichever avatar you like. And then you could even apply some of the concepts like the Proteus effect or other phenomena related to avatars in the workplace to your uses of these avatars uh, based on what you've learned in this podcast. And once again, if you wanna try it out, go to Steam, download Animes, try it for free. And then if you want a subscription, you can get 50% off for a limited time by entering Sparty Lab in the discount code. Check it out. Now onto our conversation with Steve Yellen. So as you as you prepared as an instructor, I, I, I'm thinking like, you know, fundamentally, this is the same experience that we have with distance education now for the students, except, you know, technologically, it's it's gotten easier, right? You don't mm -hmm. need to you don't need to go to the library. You don't need to buy all this big equipment. You everyone's got a phone or, or a laptop these days. Um, but for the instructor, it's gotten easier as well. But I think the process of preparing the materials has changed in, in addition to the ease and the convenience. So that's kind of the, the broader lesson that I, I would love to try to pick apart with you here is uh, like for the student, I guess learning in one medium or another is really dependent on how the instructor structures that learning experience, that pedagogy, right? Like you right. said, garbage in, garbage out. So what are, what are some kind of... Um, timeless or maybe uh, medium-less or, or maybe like a medium-aware um, approaches to designing good pedagogy that, that would last through different media or like maybe what aspects of certain media are better for certain aspects of pedagogy? Some principles uh, apply across the board. Doesn't matter what the medium is, uh, although it may be a little tougher for some, let me give let me give you an example. Uh, one principle, meaningfulness. I think we might have talked about this before. Mm -hmm. Meaningfulness says that a student will be motivated to learn something that will that they see as related to them. Mm -hmm. It relates to their past, their present, their future. So if you can show them how what they are learning right now is connected to what they would like to be, what they have seen before, what they're working on right now, boy, they're gonna glom onto that. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter what the medium is, you've gotta have meaningfulness. Um, there's a bunch and, of these. 
And, well, okay, it doesn't matter what the medium is, but I almost wonder if um, if newer media are good for that, if they're using those media for socializing with their friends uh, or for entertainment. Yeah. That's right. Well, <laughs> uh, media uh, can have distractions as well. If, if, a, if a person is engaged with one kind of medium, in other words, uh, <laughs> if you're home alone, and you're watching something, uh, and this relates to meaningfulness, and you're, and you're not into it, um, you could be easily distracted. So meaningfulness, I, I really think it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the medium is, if it is meaningful to the student. I mean, I, I just looked up uh, some theories. I, I think I sent you one of these things, some theories of stupidity. Yes. So, I mean, and then I became really interested in that because of what I see going on around me. So I was motivated to seek all kinds of information. And when I found one, you couldn't get me off, couldn't get me off the site uh, because it was meaningful to me. It helped me explain what I've seen, what I'm thinking about right now and what I want to do in the future. Mm -hmm. um, so if you've, got, if you've got something like that, students will not be distracted. Okay. The other, the other thing is prerequisite. Students are often distracted when uh, they don't have the right prerequisites to understand what you're talking about. So they need to know the vocabulary. They need to have the experiences that you're referring to if, if they're going to understand what the medium is even showing them, what the message is. So if, if um, a student doesn't understand what he or she is seeing, even with the best medium, you, you see this beautiful visual uh, and it's just lovely, but they don't understand it. What, what am I looking at here? They don't understand the words that are being expressed and the best audio you got. Um, so there's a at, literacy that they might not have, that they haven't yeah. developed yet. Yes, you have to have the prerequisites and you have to have also, it's not just what you have and, and, um, and don't have, it's, it's about the accuracy of, of the knowledge that you do have. Um, people enter classes with misconceptions. Yeah, that was another uh, interesting uh, article you sent me about misconceptions and how yeah. it takes uh, hard work to clear up misconceptions as an instructor. Right. That's right. And students walk in with them all the time. It's not that they don't know, but they know the wrong stuff and they don't even know that they don't know the stuff. Okay. So that's one, it doesn't matter. <laughs> what the medium is, um, you, you, you've got to make sure that they are literate visually in terms of uh, knowledge and skill required. Um, so there's meaningfulness, prerequisites, open communication. If you want students to be able to uh, learn, you got to tell them what you want them to learn. Of course, I mean, students will learn from darn near any experience. You know, they'll, they'll learn something. But if you want them to learn a particular thing, you got to let them know what it is. And that is, oh, oh, and then teachers get all upset about teaching for the test. Oh my God, you're teaching for the test. Yes, if the test is a good real world performance, that's exactly what I want. I want the student to learn what it is to use this material out in the real world. And I'm, I, I, I swear to them, I tell you, I'm not kidding you. You're going to be able to do this by the end of class. And then you'll walk out into the real world and you'll be able to do what you want to do. So meaningfulness, prerequisites, open communication, 
let's see. I got. I mean, there are ten of these, but I, I you know, um, you stop me when you, you know, you've had enough. Keep we, going. Keep going. Uh, organized essential content. Uh, if you want the media and the message to count, it it can't be a jumble. I mean, yes, yes, yes. Um, when, when there is ambiguity and stuff, it does promote attention because they wonder what the hell's going on here. But if you have uh, essential content, you want to make sure that they, they f- you focus on that and that is so well organized that cannot possibly miss it. So might this relate to the medium in a way because some media are, are better at highlighting um, information than others? Absolutely, absolutely. Picture, picture, just a film, and the teacher's trying to, with words, show uh, a particular aspect of the film that's happening right there. Now, if you could freeze frame and you could project onto that uh, some image like of a box or a circle to show exact, to hone in exactly on what you want the students to see, wow, that's really organized that's showing the essential content that's pinpointing exactly what you want so that that makes a difference no matter uh, what what the medium is uh, the other thing is uh, another one is novelty people will pay attention to some change if if things are going along bumpity bumpity bump and then you suddenly do something uh, they pay attention uh, it doesn't have to be scary or anything like that but it has to be some relative change from what the stimuli have been. If something is too exciting, too crazy, they can't distinguish what's what's important. I mean, they're trying to pay attention, but they don't know what to pay attention to. So you see that novelty and organized essential content sort of mesh uh, together there. Okay. Uh, another one, uh, another thing that, that doesn't matter, especially if you're teaching somebody skill, is modeling, the two aspects of modeling. Modeling is to demonstrate exactly what you want the person to do, to show them exactly how to do it, and to highlight you know, what you're doing so they can pay attention to the right parts at the right time. There's a whole, there's a whole technology to doing that. Um, so that's, that's demonstration, but there's another part of modeling, which is doing what you're preaching, practice what you preach. So I had, that, I had that problem in my teaching. I was teaching people about instructional design. My instructional design had to be meticulous. I was telling them about how to, how to do good teaching. My teaching had to be, if it wasn't damn near perfect, they let me know. <laughs> but, but when I was doing it, it was great fun to watch uh, students sitting together and I'd be talking about something and one would nudge the other and, and say to each other, hey, that's what he's doing right now. <laughs> yeah. So, so modeling. So if you're if you're a teacher, communication, uh, your communication skills better be essential. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple more active, appropriate practice. If you want somebody to learn something, they have to be able to practice it, and that means that they not only practice it, they perform it, they do exactly what it is that you want them to do in the real world, and then you get solid feedback telling what was right, what was wrong, what they should do next time to improve their work. And, and, and that has to be as realistic as possible. And this, this is where, for example, the metaverse can come in. Mm-hmm. This is where a person could be doing something. You want them 
want to show them how to make a particular physical move, uh, you can you can have them do that in the metaverse. Uh, you know, I was watching um, high jump, a women's high jump. They run down and then they jump over the the bar, and each time the high jumper finished and hit the bar and it fell down, they looked up and they looked at the big screen in the Olympic stadium to see what they did. And, what, and then they walk over to the stands where the coach was sitting and the coach would help them interpret what they saw. And then they try the next run. So there was practice, you know, an analysis and then good feedback and then another shot at it. It's not just practice, get feedback and you're done. It's practice, you get the feedback, you do it again, and then you get feedback and then you do it again. So something I'm inferring from this um, list, which is very helpful, is it kind of depends on what you're teaching. And so for me, this is good because part of what I'm teaching is a fluidity with these new media technologies. Yeah. So next semester I'm teaching this class. So this is one of the reasons why this is so timely for me. Next semester I'm teaching a class about virtual reality yes. in virtual reality. <laughs> so, uh, well, not entirely in, but you know, half the time my students and I will meet in VR. So uh, that's great opportunity to practice the use of VR and then within that talk about VR and how it affects them. And they can, like you said, I, I can model um, behaviors, they can get feedback, uh, we can talk about it and write papers about it. But, it, you know, on the other hand, it's a writing mechanics class to some extent. And so I'll give them feedback. I'm not going to spend a lot of time teaching them writing, but writing is a medium of communication too. Absolutely. Well, you can, you can use the writing. You can actually, you can actually model writing for them. But not in VR. Probably. You can use the VR as a um, stimulus. So uh, they do some virtual reality exercise, they do it, and then you uh, come up on screen or in, in live, mm -hmm. you show them on screen with the screen behind you, how you would write this, how you would talk about this. Yeah, and, and with all your, with all your corrections and your changes, and then you look over the what you've written, and you say, "Oh no, I mean, this is I gotta fix this," and they would see what it takes to do the kind of reflection that you want them to do on virtual reality. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. I wonder would that be better? I I guess yeah, as long as they can kind of feel connected to me as I edit writing. Um, it could be in Zoom or it could be in VR. I guess there's a there's a world where they can be in VR and see my screen and even see like I can see my keyboard and I can type in real time while I'm in VR. It's a world called immersed. Um, that, that's actually a great idea. That that's a great activity to do in class. Yeah, yeah, and you see, the the practice principle is not just active practice like we're talking about and get feedback and so on. Uh, active appropriate practice. It is practice like you want them to be able to do in the real world. What do you want them to do in the real world? I wanted my students to be able to come up with an excellent instructional objective. So that's what they did. They practiced that and practiced that and practiced that. Then they did a project where they had to produce one in order, in order to do a project that they're working on. Mm -hmm. um, 
and you know, the feedback I mentioned, one of the principles is pleasant consequences, pleasant conditions and consequences. Um, teaching is not punishment. Uh, teaching should be at least neutral, um, pleasurable if you can, if you can make it so. Uh, and stu students need full feedback. They need to know what they did right, what they did wrong, and what they should do next. You got it. I mean, I, I watched that high jumper. I mean, the high jumper was, was looking at herself. Now, what did I do? What did I do right? What did I do wrong? What should I do next? You know, I'm not sure about what I should do next. Go talk to the coach. Coach fills in. That's why it's really good when students are, are getting feedback. The first person to give them feedback is themselves. So what did you, what do you think you did there? What did you do? What did you try and do? I did this and this and this, but you missed this, see? Uh, so you could fill in what they what they don't already know and reinforce that. And the last one is that all of these things have to be consistent with each other. All of the pieces of instruction have to be consistent. And we've talked okay. about this before. It's called uh, the secret of instructional design. So if you have a real world goal, I want a, a student to be able to uh, write uh, uh, about an experience in a very, very um, clear uh, and interesting way. That's what I want. Well, get, that's what the objective is. You, I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'm gonna give you an experience and I'm going to ask you to come up with a written piece that is both clear and interesting. And we'll talk about what those mean, all right? So then the content of the class is, how do you make a piece of writing clear and interesting? Um, that's what the test is, if you wanna call it a test, the, the final piece of writing that they do to show that they've got it. And what do you, how do you teach them? You, why do you need this clear writing? You, you motivate them, you explain to them how to do it. You demonstrate to them how to do it. They practice how, how to do it. <laughs> you give them feedback on it. They give themselves feedback on it and they do it again and again until they got it. And you make it a pleasant experience all the way through. To the best you can, yeah. So in other words, if I were doing something like this and I wanted to write about various experiences, we'd have some interesting, fun uh, experiences. I mean, so I, I mean, I'm not teaching VR, but um, uh, let's say I was I was teaching about the outdoors, and I want them to be writers um, for people about ecology and the outdoors and so on. So we'd have we'd have we go for a hike, and we'd have a cookout, and we'd have some fun, you know. And so and then they had to write about that. Say, okay, why not, right? This was this was fun. This was uh, educational for me too. Um, let's tell them what we told them. So here are the principles. Um, I think you know I do have many students who listen to this podcast, and there are students who will teach with technology, but also they'll just teach uh, mm -hmm. eventually. PhD students. So it's got to be meaningful. It, you need to make sure you have the right prerequisites or students have the background knowledge, the literacy to engage with the material. Uh, class should have an open communication format so the students understand what they're supposed to learn. And the test should reflect some real world knowledge that you want them to learn and they should know that that's what they should be learning. Um, you should model exactly what you want the students to do and highlight when to do what you want them to do, allow them to practice or no, sorry, show in your practice uh, what you are teaching. Um, you should organize the essential content. So this could be done well in VR or other media technologies using the kind of affordances of the medium to highlight that content. Um, you should have novelty. 
ah! <laughs> an occasional jumping up and joke and scream and rap song and skateboarding. There you go. Um, and then uh, you should make sure that the practice is appropriate um, to, to whatever you want them to do. So give them opportunities to practice. And VR might be good for this too, because they can embody different movements or um, they, you can put them in a world if they're, I don't know, practicing public speaking. You can have them in front of a room of avatars practicing that. Um, the writing one is, it's a, you know, they maybe you wouldn't normally write in VR, but some of my students do. Um, chemistry, right? Like they can be pouring beakers or learning, uh, like interacting with molecules. There's so many ways in which that embodied experience um, can be more realistic um, and help people learn it. And then also more pleasant, which is the last principle, right? Pleasant conditions and consequences. Oh, and, um, and then everything should be consistent. So yeah bring it all together cohesively. And there's one thing that even it envelops that, and that is the attitude of the instructor. Uh, excellent instructors who can pull this off do so because they are concerned about the students learning and that drives them to put all these principles into practice. They are concerned about the subject matter. They think that what they teach is important. And it's important for the students to learn. And you see that coming through in their attitude. And the third, is they like the job of teaching. You know, in colleges, a lot of the professors uh, are also researchers, but they like their teaching. They really enjoy it and you see it. And maybe um, there's a feedback loop here. You like teaching more if you get better student reviews. So even if you don't like teaching, you should pretend you like teaching so that you'll get student reviews that are positive. It'll make you like it better. I, I think students sometimes can see through that. <laughs> students are smart peoples. That's why they're there. Um, and, and they can see through that. No, they, they can tell you, um, there's some research on this. They can tell you that the teacher is genuine or not. Uh, and, uh, it, it, it shows itself very easily and quickly. And, and you can see it, by the way, you can see that in all aspects of the course, even in, the, even in a friendly uh, syllabus that the teachers hand out. You can see the attitude of the teacher when the teacher says, I don't ever want you to be late. Late, this is terrible. Uh, versus or, or even worse, um, students must not be late or the instructor will like in that third person makes it even less personal. Right. right, right, right. Uh, and versus versus something like, look, we we'd all like everybody to be in their seat when we start so that there's few distractions. So I, I appreciate that if you could do that for the sake of everybody in the in the community here. Yeah, yeah. So showing respect for your students. So so I agree with that, like students will see through that um, and and being genuine in your teaching. So at least may, forcing yourself to like teaching if you don't like it at first. Um, but I can say that in my experience, I've tried very hard to learn how to game this system. <laughs> I like teaching. I do, I do na naturally like teaching, but it takes a lot of work. And there's a lot more work to be done on the research side with more benefit in terms of like my career kind of um, accomplishments, the stuff on your CV, right? Getting publications matters more um, according to my review than getting strong teaching evaluations. So I've tried to learn how to game it so I can have a great experience for students in a way that requires the least amount of time and effort. 
but um, but I think that's okay. <laughs> oh, that's not not that that's not just okay. That's what we call efficiency. I mean, you want to be effective and efficient. I mean, so it took me a while to come up with my class materials. And we're talking hundreds of pages here that I had of, of notes and outlines and practice tests that the students did and so on. But once I had them, I had them. Yeah. And they were, they were damn good and they required very little revision. I would revise a little bit, but when I, when I was ready for a class, I hardly had to do anything. Yeah. I mean, I had each time I taught. And, and the only thing that I liked to do was to come up with new examples and some little tweaks of improvement for my own, for my own meaningfulness and for my own novelty. So um, I, of course, you got to be efficient. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you, so I, I see nothing wrong with what, you, what you're saying. Okay. You, you know, you, you, you're putting a little bit of a negative uh, role on that with gaming it. Sure. So, no, you, no, you're doing, you're doing good, solid planning. Yeah, there might be a little guilt there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, you, you, you need to be efficient. Sure. You need to be efficient. Speaking of efficiency, uh, I've taken a lot of your time. And if any listeners have made it this far, kudos to them. <laughs> uh, but this is really fun, Steve, even if no one listens. I'm so appreciative that we had this conversation. Thanks. I appreciate it, too. Keeps me keeps the little old gray cells working there. <laughs> All right. Well, see you soon. Take care. Bye bye now. All right, that was our episode with Steve Yellen. What a guy, am I right? Like, great personality, such an amazing teacher. Uh, wow, I, I feel so fortunate to have learned how to teach at this uh, university level from him. I definitely think that he helped me in some of my teaching successes over these uh, past years here at MSU. So thank you, Steve, for being with us on this episode. Thank you to my production team, Tay Halterman, Kyle Takpe, and Mia Berghart. And thank you, listener, for subscribing, hitting that subscribe button, maybe even uh, downloading whatever amazing product is being <laughs> that is sponsoring our podcast. Um, and hope to see you next time. Thank you for tuning into SpartyCast. Goodbye, world.